This episode of ArcaSpeak is sponsored by Arcat. You may know about Charette, Arcat's free tool to organize and collaborate your architecture projects, but did you know that Charette can promote your projects too? In Charette, you can create your firm's portfolio, upload the photos you want, and control the project information you wish to share. Create links back to your firm's website and share contact details so clients can reach out to you. Check out Charette at arcat.com slash projects. Again, that's A-R-C-A-T dot com slash projects. This episode is also sponsored by Construct, the national show dedicated to bringing together all disciplines in the commercial AEC industry. If you design, build, specify, engineer, renovate, or operate in the commercial built environment, this is your event. Construct is taking place October 3rd through the 5th in Long Beach, California, at the Long Beach Convention and Entertainment Center. Construct links thousands of industry colleagues that are focused on practical, real-world knowledge for continued building success. The three-day educational conference and expo features 50-plus sessions and over 160 exhibitors and networking events. Of which ArcaSpeak is one of. So, listen to this. Exclusive offer for our listeners here. If you register for Construct by September 26th, so you better get on this because this episode, you've only got a couple weeks to do this, you get 15% off of your education or a free expo pass. So here's the code that you need to register with. It's DA15OFF103. And if you can't remember that because you're driving right now, this link will be in our show notes so that you can click on it. You don't even have to remember that. And then you can get into the 15% off education or a free expo pass because you listen to this show. All right, so check for the link in our show notes and you will be well on your way. We can't wait to do our lunch seminar there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So sign up for that and sign up for all kinds of things at the Construct Show in Long Beach this year. This episode is also sponsored by Hager Company. This isn't a one-size-fit-all solution when providing door hardware for security and access control. One of our goals, when we introduced our HS4 electronic access control line last year, was to offer different levels of security and safety that would fit a range of budgets. Stop by booth 743 at Construct, the show we just talked about, to see their latest electronic access control release and how they can assist you in determining which system is right for your project. To celebrate the Arcuspeak team being part of Construct this year, stop by their booth, drop off your business card with episode 150 written on it in the special area just for Arcuspeak listeners only for the chance to win a drone. Whoa. whoa, whoa. whoa. Very cool. Really? Very cool. Yeah. Wow. I'm dropping so there you off go. my card. Very cool. Everybody hit up the Construct booth. I don't think booth. you're eligible. All right, thanks to all of our sponsors for sponsoring this episode of Arcuspeak. Welcome to Arcuspeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 150 of the Arcuspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxel. And I'm Cormac Phelan. Hey guys, so 150, milestone, right? How did we get here? Yeah. 
lots lots of talking good question about 150 (laughs) hours of listening right there even more talking too bad it's not limited to 150 hours of talking right (laughs) oh right or work put in right a couple thousand hours of talking and (laughs) probably yeah perhaps yeah absolutely all right well i'm that's it it's kind of a it's big a deal. Thing. I mean, that's exciting. I guess, yeah, the, the big deals come in chunks of 50 in podcast land. So Is that right? I think so. All right. I don't well, know why. That works. So yeah. we're, it'll, so it'll we're take us a little while chunks. to get to 200. Yeah, we're three. Three chunks or three chumps? Oh, wait, Three sorry. chunks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Well, one of the things we wanted to do on this episode was kind of jump into the mailbag here so we've got a bunch of uh ask arcaspeak things that we wanted to go through and actually first before we jump into ask arcaspeak we wanted to talk about a little note we got from alexander bergman and i just wanted to kind of acknowledge that because it it was a great letter that he sent us very inspiring to listen to him speak and uh i think the only thing that i you know we're not going to read his letter here but the thing that I would say is come come to uh, come to one of the big conferences that we go to and let's hang out together because I think that would be pretty fun. This is he's a good guy, sounds like, and uh, we wanted to give him a shout out. And he said we were awesome. So, absolutely. Too. That's why that's why I'm inviting him just because he 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 sucked up here. Although I think <laughs> what we need to do since he's in the Seattle area is we need to go to a conference up there. Yeah, that would be better. Oh, uh, yeah. I haven't there been there go. myself. So that would be cool. All right, so let's jump into Ask Arker Speak. You guys up for that? Let's. So yeah. we uh, this is uh, we've get emails from various listeners or or Twitter replies or or whatever, and, and we kind of collect them every once in a while and go through them. And so that's one of these episodes. So I wanted to start off with a note from Rico Eric Whitman, and Eric asked about. Um, just basically, what what should architects wear? Serious question. So I guess we have to give a serious answer. <laughs> so uh, who wants to take this clothes? one? Clothes. Start with clothes. Yeah. And so <laughs> obviously this is a lopsided answer, but I think we're, we're going to try to stick with the uh, try to be as generic as we can when it comes to male and female. I think everything that we say here should apply. We're not giving out like brand names or specific styles or anything, right? So who wants to who wants to jump in first on Eric's? request to know seriously what architects should wear. Well, since one of the points that he brings up in his letter to us is, you know, that he was, uh, I guess, a little disliking of the um, architecty, you know, wear black with uh, rounded glasses. I guess that's not really going to be part of my answer. Says that he doesn't like that. No, I'm just kidding. Because um, I, I, I really <laughs> only wear black with round glasses. So, you know, mine is, and I think it might be, a little bit for all of us, but I dress for what I'm doing. If I think I'm going to be sitting around all day, basically just answering RFIs or doing something on the computer where I'm not meeting with anybody, I'm going to dress relaxed. I'm going to dress casual so that I don't have to wear a button up shirt and have to tuck it in. But I, I, you know, I would wear jeans and a, untucked shirt sleeves rolled up um so if i do have to tuck in my shirt i'm not too um unprofessional looking but for the most part since i don't think that i've had a week god feels like a month that i haven't had a meeting 
it's got to be, you know, professional attire, khakis or something like that with a tucked in shirt. So you, what about so a you, tie, Cormac? Isn't that the engineer outfit? Oh, that, ooh, that is engineerish. <laughs> and yes, um, I... No, I think he said polos and khakis is a little too engineerish. Yeah, well, agreed. I mean, I... So I think you're okay. You're not wearing a polo at the, in that situation, uh, Well, and right? it, it always has their logo on it. Too, and I will, so I will say this. So it's like, kind of a uniform. You know, he, you know okay. he, he made mention that, you know, he doesn't... You know, he doesn't like to wear ties, and he actually got into the profession to not have to wear ties. But maybe he didn't flip through the catalog of, like, almost every architect who usually is, like, posing with that nice little uh, bow tie Those and all fake. that other stuff. Yeah, um, yeah those bow are, ties are pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, bow ties seem to be overly popular for some oh, reason, which that's I understand. Like, uh, no. I don't know, man. I know plenty no. of people who wear them. I, mm. I agree no. with Cormac. I, I think it's it's uh, it depends what you're doing, and it also depends on the firm culture that you're in, right? Obviously, yeah. there's there's yeah. and where it is. I mean, if if you're in a large metropolitan area in a high rise, working, you know, they might have a different culture than 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 somebody else. So, I think that there's just so many things that that go into this question. I all all I can do is give you my what I do, and I don't know that that actually applies to hardly anybody. So I and I think it, as far as men and women in the same office together, I I tend to find that women dress better than men, and oh, I I yeah. think that probably is because they're overcoming um, previous biases that are you know they have to be even more professional unfairly because they have to they have more hoops to jump through. Uh, in our in our old profession so that that's just kind of my perspective on that i I don't know if that's true or not it's not something that i've actually uh quizzed anybody on or anything but that's just kind of the sense that i get out of it i i agree with cormac i i tend to dress more casually than not because i'm not typically out meeting with clients i'm kind of working at the office and i i think that it's important to be comfortable but i also have been at my firm for 15 years and maybe I can get away with something. So <laughs> I don't, there's, there's not an official dress code. Our, our official dress code I think is two words and it's, it's something like be smart uh, about what you wear. It's not, it's not anything that's codified in a employee manual, but I know that there are firms that have that as well. So that might be something else that you kind of figure into this. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because like for us, you know, a lot of people try to, I mean, we're not going to say that they, dress so casual that they probably need to not be seen by like clients and stuff. But with... how do you feel about flip-flops? You know, hmm. you really go there? <laughs> they're not a shoe. They're evil. I knew that was a, I knew that was a hot They're put wear of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I mean, you know, I was just thinking about this. I mean, we, we've, you know, even recently we've been having a lot of clients coming into the office, um, you know, we've got mm-hmm. to do university work all over the place and they're all in our office and, and tend to know that they're going to be walking around the office. You don't want to like stand up and shake someone's hand and you're wearing flip flops and blue jeans and a, you know, untucked t-shirt, which of course I would never right. do any of that, but at least the <laughs> flip flop part. Sure. Um, um, what was your two word motto again? Be smart. Be smart. Yeah. I I think we've talked about this on a previous episode, and one of the things that came up was regarding being out on the site. And 
mm-hmm. how do you dress for the site? Because there, sometimes the tact that we we talked about, I believe, was dressing more like a contractor, so you feel like you're fitting in and you're one of the guys out there, you're one of the gals, and you're you're you know you're buddies with the contractor and you talk the same language. Versus, um, I think what I shared one of the lessons that I learned from one of my mentors, and he said. I, I want to be the best dressed person on the site so they know who's in charge. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, yeah. and I think, you know, there, were, there was something to that as well. So, again, it, it kind of depends on what you're trying to achieve maybe in that scenario. But, again, it's, it's be smart. It's, it's dressed for the, how you want to be perceived. And sometimes that means you're trying to fit in and not stand out. And sometimes it means you are. So, But here's, here's right. the funny thing to that, though is almost any time that I've been on site and even though you may, you know, like just be dressing down to like kind of blend into all of the people out there, you can always, always 100% every time pick out the architect on a job site. Oh yeah. I mean, we stand. It's not a bad thing, Cormac. I'm just, I didn't say it was, didn't say it was. I'm just saying you can always pick out the architect at a job site. Go over the ones with the cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Just like. You're doing it wrong. Or it's just like, why is that guy (laughs) taking pictures of me doing this work? I mean. Stop the work. That's what they're saying. I hope they're not saying that. Yeah. Yeah, You don't want to hear that. Oh, bad idea. I, I would say dress professionally. And, and however you would like to define that, if that means you're going to a boardroom and you're meeting with significant clients, then yeah, maybe it means wearing a tie and a jacket. Maybe not. Um, it's dressed the way you feel comfortable. And if you don't feel comfortable in that situation, then maybe you're underdressed or vice versa, right? If you got the tie on and you're going in somewhere and no one else is maybe maybe you take it out <laughs> you take it off before you uh before you go in yeah exactly but, one of the things that you can't right. really go wrong with is overdressing right and then and then if you yes. need to dial it down a little bit in the spur of the moment right before you walk in that's fine Le- leave your coat in the car or you know whatever right if you need right. to okay so real yeah. quick though have you ever been in a meeting where you've got like some you know you have some senior architect or senior engineer that's you know well in their 60s and stuff and they dress like they just don't give a shit what you think and yeah, there is what is that what does that cat. clothing look like well <laughs> we have this what, we have this one guy in, in clothing in, no it's what cormac wears well we have we have this one engineer <laughs> that comes in and in don't get me wrong great engineer great guy doesn't dress poorly but, you know, he kind of dresses almost kind of, um, I sort of want to kind of call it Miami chic. You know, it's kind of that, that, uh, like a Don Johnson sort no. of thing, the Miami Vice sort of thing. No. Um, so when I grew up, like you had these, um, you know, growing up in the Tampa Bay area, you know, you had these older kind of like suave Cuban men that have like this really cool squared off shirt that's untucked and they, you know, they, I, I, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's just like, it's so cat. It's, it's not, it's not like casual where it's like just blue jeans or shorts or something like that, but 
It's just they're they're casual and comfortable, and they don't care if they're mm-hmm. not. You know, if the entire room is wearing suits, they're not wearing a suit. Right. They don't care about wearing a suit. You know, or they're going to be wearing a suit jacket with maybe a pair of um, jeans and tennis shoes. And it's like, all right, here's my suit. I'll put on yep. a suit coat. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just, and it, I, I was looking at him like, you know, one of these days I want to get to that point where I just don't care what it's anybody else thinks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep, that's it. You know, something else we should mention too is that depending on where you practice, like, I have to guess, never practiced in Hawaii, but I just have to guess that I think the dress code and offices in Hawaii, and if we have any listeners there or elsewhere in the world where it's, say, warm or tropical or something like that, how do you dress, right? I'm sure it's very different than our experiences probably in our offices here in the States, you know, or mainland USA here. I wonder how that's different around the world, right? Well, and then one last question. So I, I okay. don't don't know how you did it when you were sole practitioner, Neil, but uh-huh. when when we were when I was doing residential in Florida, a lot of times we were meeting with our clients kind of like after hours or uh-huh. and or sometimes, you know, meeting with them in their own home and stuff like that. And so right. coming in dre- overdressed seemed a little overkill. Right. And so you kind of dress down to make them feel a little bit more comfortable with you being in their home rather than, you know, you kind of like coming in with, in a suit and tie and you're sitting down at their right. dining room table. So, you know, it's right. almost like you, I mean, I don't know. How did, how did you do that when you were a sole practitioner? How did you like? So what I would say is that what works for me, is especially when I practiced on my own, I would always wear jeans and a dress shirt of some sort, a casual or more of a casual dress shirt. So not a super nice dress shirt that you might wear with like a suit or something, but more of a casual, uh, like a cotton sort of based uh, shirt. And, but I always treated it more on a casual basis because I was always meeting people in their houses, sometimes after work or on weekends Maybe on weekends it might get a little bit more casual because everybody's casual as well. But I always wanted to project an image of being a professional. So to me, that meant a button-up shirt, and I'd usually roll up the sleeves a little bit. And I've continued that even in the office now. I pretty much wear the same thing, uh, usually jeans. I have a couple of pairs of khakis that I'll mix it up and maybe wear those and some nice, you know, dress shoes occasionally. And then I have a bunch of other shoes that, that I'll wear that are a little more casual and, but, but nice, you know, dressy, dressy enough. And uh, that seems to work. It it kind of allows me to go from the field, when I go on job sites and it allows me to be in the office and look professional enough that when you, like you were saying, Cormac, when clients are coming through the office or something, you don't look like a bum. Uh, you know, you don't look like it's casual Friday every day of the week, but you can kind of go, you can get called into a meeting and, and still look professional. So that's what I've, what I did when I was on my own and kind of how I've, I still dress. 
We'll say that. All right. So we we apologize to Eric for the way we've answered this question, and to our the rest of our audience <laughs> for dragging it out so long. Yeah, they're like, yeah, really? and for yeah, providing exactly. ambiguity and non-answers. All right. <laughs> but I will say that on casual Fridays, it is absolutely acceptable to wear blue jeans, tennis shoes, and a Detroit Tigers jersey. <laughs> really? Just Fair saying. Enough. Okay. All right. All right, let's let's move on. Ask Eric to speak. Uh, yeah. Topic number two. So uh, Noah Morris wrote in to uh, he, he's a student third year and he's about to start third year and then basically wondering um, what software he should be learning that would be good. You know anything that that would be good to learn. So he's he's already learned Revit, AutoCAD, SketchUp, and the Adobe Suite. So we're going so, from Office Square to software. Nice segue. Yes. Nice. All right. So uh, it would have been a better segue if you said it before you started, but <laughs> that's okay. It wasn't his fault. It was mine. All right. So <laughs> so he's looking into 3ds Max and Katia. Also curious about Katia. other BIM software. Yeah, Kat- I don't even know what that is. Katia started off as an aerospace software, and that's what uh, Gary Frank Gary purchased. <gasps> Or, oh, or okay. I don't know if he purchased it, but he, he, he went full into it to develop it. They they develop digital projects, so it, oh. but it, but Katia is kind of like the, you know, it's it's a modeling piece of, a piece of modeling software that's more for industrial design and aerospace, and it actually is used by by architects who are very interested in controlling every millimeter of the assembly of of the you know very complex systems. So. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty high okay. end, and I don't I don't know that I would even recommend that as an as a thing to really look into unless you actually go to work for somebody who uses it because the firms that do are very specialized right. that use it. Um, Shop Architects uses it. Gary Partners uses well, it. Well, I thought um, I'm Shop sure, uses sure Rhino. Wow, Isn't... they do, and that that's what I would recommend. I think the probably the the most recommended piece of software out there right now is Rhino and Grasshopper. Um, if you're really wanting to get into parametric design and like you said you're using SketchUp for 3D but I would look at something that is more parametric and I would ditch AutoCAD out of the list um there are going to be <laughs> sorry there are going to be uh uses for AutoCAD but Rhino can actually just open AutoCAD and save AutoCAD files so you might as well just work in there and it works very similarly keyboard shortcuts are very similar layer systems the same um and you can work in 2D AutoCAD or 3D DWGs right inside of Rhino. I would recommend going as, that route as much instead. As, as much as I see the use of SketchUp, you know, for quick down and dirty stuff, the thing that I have so much trouble with in SketchUp, especially, you know, for what we do, is I feel like it's always lost productivity because you're you everything mm-hmm. that you do in SketchUp you're going to have to do again, you know, cause there's, there's, I, I, and that's really why I push for more of a, a Rhino workflow because there are more opportunities to keep what you've done and continue on with it in Revit or, or even have two models going out at the same time that talk to each other. Right. Which you're right, Cormac, that, that is hard, if not impossible to do in SketchUp. And, right. and that's, I don't, I'm not trying to put down SketchUp. I think SketchUp no, no, no. is a I, useful tool. Oh, absolutely. For sure. And nothing quite looks like it either. Um, you know, it, it has a nice look I like right how out it, of the box. I like how it keeps it loose anything. still. 
you know you can you can keep yes keep everything looking to, loose which is what you should be doing in the first place and in, in the earlier correct. stages of stuff you know you correct. don't feel too committal um to something that you're not like oh yeah we spent so much time modeling this thing that it's going to just kill us if we have to change it no i mean i like the looseness of sketchup but i know that autodesk tried uh with format to do something very similar to that and i i don't know if if it's even taken off enough i mean we we have it in our office but i i haven't seen a single Nobody person uses it i've seen one right. person use it try to try to use it and um then pretty much every ever since if they want to just do something quick and easy they do sketchup yeah <laughs> SketchUp's got a huge user base, tons of extensions. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. definitely a use for it. And, I, and I'm and i not even against starting over once you get to Revit because Revit forces you to make decisions that you aren't really ready to make when you're working in that conceptual design level. So I think that it's okay. And if you're okay starting over, that's fine. But I, I think what I was focusing on more is if, if there's other software that we've used or heard that would be good to learn, I would definitely push for Rhino and it really depends where you want to work, but it wouldn't hurt. So, right. Well, I mean, uh, I have to would, say ArchiCAD would be a good... as well, I think because Revit's oh, yeah, not absolutely. the only BIM game in town or, and there's, there's Vectorworks, but I think if you yeah, know Vectorworks, Revit, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't be too worried about what you list on your resume as software skills. I would I would rather see that you have an aptitude to learn just about anything. And, and that to me shows that you're going to learn the office standards, whatever software they use. Yeah. And if you can pick up all these, which you already have, I don't think that's really going to be a problem. So I wouldn't worry too much about checking all the boxes on, on the resume as far as what software, if you love learning software, just go learn more software. But if you want to get better as an architect, I don't think, I think you're fine probably where you're at. And, learn how to use the software right yeah yeah that's a good good point so um i've always kind of taken the the stance with with my learning is i i want to know a medium amount about a lot of programs i don't necessarily want to be an expert in any one of them so you know you need to know how to get these pieces of software to talk to each other that they and all the the 2D and 3D architecture programs can do that. It's important to know how to move stuff in and out of all of them because what you really want to do is use the best tool for the job. And I don't even mean use one tool for the whole job. If if a piece of the job is better served in another piece of software, then do it there and bring it into the the main one. I mean, that's that's what we do all the time. And so if if you just use one tool, your project is going to look like it was just designed in that one tool. And I think there's lots of firms out there who have a portfolio of work done in SketchUp that's buildings and you can kind of tell, and they have a portfolio of work done in Revit and you can kind of tell. So, well, let me ask this. Can you really, I guess, oh, yeah. I guess yeah. I'm not, not familiar enough with the, with those particular two, but I, I've heard other people tell me that too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm we, not, we've, yeah, yeah okay. we've been you know doing a lot of visualization on this project that I'm working on. And, um, you can tell the difference between the people who are doing it and, you know, 3ds max and um sketchup i mean you know we've got like a lot of exterior stuff that we're doing in in um sketchup and a lot of interior stuff that we're doing that might already be modeled in revit that you know we're either using like enscape 
um, to help. That, yeah, that's a good point. Right. I didn't even think about rendering, but right. Well, that, real-time renders yeah. are, are definitely something you should be checking out, especially as a student where you can get all this stuff for free. Exactly. You know? and, and that's actually where I was going to, you know, ask you is, you know, uh, you know, through, you know, visualization is a lot of in-house visualization is becoming a lot more important to firms nowadays because, you know, it's just, it's, it's, there's the ability to do, you know, higher end stuff really quick with a lot of these, you know, Revit add-ons or or things like that. I mean, we particularly just use Enscape and I can get really good imagery out of Enscape and then just, you know, take it and do some cleanup work in, you know, Photoshop or something like that and, and get some really good high end stuff. But, um, and we're rendering right out of the model. And so I can see where, um, things are, you know, what is right, you know, modeled right and what's modeled wrong, because if it's modeled wrong, it's going to look bad in your renderings. Um, so what are some of the things that like you guys use, um, for like maybe in-house, uh, visualization tools? All right. So this is, sorry, everybody, this is going to be a little bit of a long answer. Uh, Nerd alert. Uh-oh. There's, there's Nerd, some, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely caveats that come along with this because it is kind of bleeding edge stuff and it has heavy system requirements so you've got to have if you're if you want to get into real-time rendering and i totally recommend it if you can you should it is like cormac just said it is blazing fast and it's fun to use oh yeah that that right there is a combination for getting better work out of your office okay so it enscape is a great plugin it's one piece of software that installs into revit rhino and sketchup it's it puts plugins into all three of those for no extra cost. I think it's about four or five hundred bucks for a seat. Right. At a professional level. At a student level, you're gonna get it for free. But you've got to have a computer with a badass video card in it. Okay. So you've got to have a NVIDIA GTX ten seventy or a ten eighty, something that has eight gigs of RAM on it that can just fly through these models. Now, if you don't have that level of hardware, you can still use it, but you can't do the real-time stuff. So like Cormac said, they'll just get an, a base image and then go take it into Photoshop. Seriously, like the snap of a finger, that image is, is ready to go for the most part. Um, it might take 20 seconds to get a decent rendering. Right. And then you take it into Photoshop and you can do stuff to it. But the real magic in real-time rendering software is that you can walk around your model and it looks like that all the time. Right. So if you've got a $3,500 computer that has that video card in it, you you have the ability to do things that a lot of other people can't do because you're willing to spend the money on the hardware. You're going to add something there, Cormac? No, I was, I was just agreeing, actually. Okay, okay. So Enscape is a great tool. It's inexpensive, and even as a professional, so we have a lot of professionals listening to this too, and I would totally recommend that. Now, where... Lumion comes in. It's a different real-time package. Uh, it's been around for a long time, and it's excellent. Um, there's other ones that compete with it, like uh, Twinmotion um, is another really good one. So th- software like that is a, is a little bit of a different level because it costs a lot more, first of all, but you do get things for that cost. So it requires the same hardware. It does not run as a plug-in to these other main programs. It is a completely separate application. You have to load your model into it. But the benefit that comes along with that is all of the entourage. The entourage is what makes it stand alone from all these other ones. So you can 
you have tons of plant libraries, people libraries, cars, bikes, all kinds of vehicles. Um, the plants and trees blow in the wind. There's butterflies, there's birds, there's cows, there's horses. There's like whatever you want to visualize, you can actually do it 100% in Lumion. You can get really good stuff out of there. Um, and they do have live links between SketchUp and Revit. So if you move a wall and the and the model is live linked, the model will just move in Lumion too. So it, it still kind of works like Enscape in that regard, but it is a little bit more detached. Like it's not dependent on running the host program at the same time. So I know that was kind of a long long way to say it. Lumion is quite a bit more money. I think it's $4,000 for a seat. Be good. Um, it's a lot more, but like it's it's a different tool. Like it, it's worth having in your in in the arsenal, especially in these larger firms that that's not a lot of money. So, um, you know, we spend more than that on one seat of Revit every single year, right? So, that's just kind of the cost of doing business at that level. Um, so you'll notice that none of those things had anything to do with 3D Studio Max, and everybody knows about V-Ray. V-Ray is starting to get into the real-time rendering right, stuff. Right. Um, they've been there's also Clever. That's another one that's out there that does it. Um, but that that really is more about photorealistic perfection. Okay, three um, D Studio Max is also great if you're going into the game environment. So if you're getting stuff into the Unreal Engine, which is another real-time engine, which is fantastic stuff. You can do interactive stuff in VR with it. You can throw basketballs through hoops in VR. But um that is a that's another kind of tangent to go off on. Um that does require 3D studio knowledge and even more software and maybe even more coding experience to get into. All amazing stuff. The stuff did not exist in architecture 5 years ago, so these are really emerging technologies and stuff to keep your your fingers on the pulse of if you're interested in tech uh, and especially in visualization, which is a huge part of what we do. So um I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll cue this up for another talk on, in another podcast later down the road. But but um, there's so there's so much just in the rendering side, and that's I didn't even think about going down that direction. I was thinking more on the modeling side and the and the BIM side. But but this is a this is another thing altogether. We beat that one to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. No more, yeah, no more you AutoCAD. About people. a half a dozen things I did had never heard of. There you go. All right. So, who wants to uh, to take us into the next Ask Arcuspeak question? I think uh, you guys should. You guys have stuff to talk about here. All right. With, well, with Cormac Casey has some real time experience with this one. So, all right. So, we got another Ask Arcuspeak um, was from Katie Kangas. And, uh, you know, she was recently listening to um, episode 148, and we were talking, I guess, briefly about uh, Citizen Architect, and most likely it was coming from my bent on, you know, the rural studio and, you know, how you can get into things. And so she started to lament about a um, a summit that she went to, um, actually, in my backyard in D.C. that, um, well, was it in my backyard? I don't know if it was. It might have been. Yes. Um, uh, a women's leadership summit in Washington, Oh, then it wasn't in my backyard. It was just, it was probably in something more professional. I was thinking okay. in my backyard, you know. Uh, anyway, so she... she bad yeah, joke. Yeah, bad joke. Or at least one that you didn't get because you're just not funny. The one I... Yeah, <laughs> right over my head. No, anyway, so she was... 
as they started to talk about citizen architect, you know, she was, she was talking about how, you know, she was getting excited about, you know, the thought about this. And she was thinking back about, you know, the things that, um, basically the community based design, community based, you know, architect that is kind of working on, you know, things that help communities, you know, they're getting involved with, you know, smaller design kind of pro bono work and, and things like that. But as they kind of kept going through the presentation, they were talking more about how architects are getting more involved with community and even, you know, bigger than that political office, which seems interestingly timely that, you know, she's, you know, it was like, oh, that's where they were going with it. And maybe it was not, you know, really thinking about that, but I believe, and I could be wrong, but we know somebody close to us that is doing just that. They're becoming a citizen architect and getting involved with community politics. I mean, I believe they've been on the planning commission and the historic commission in their, um, in their community. And, um, Hmm. that I believe they're also who might that running for city council. Uh, who would be foolish enough to yeah, do that? <laughs> uh, yes, I think you're talking about me. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I am moving forward to becoming a citizen architect, I guess. You're well, very so expanding hesitant, my hesitant role right as a citizen architect. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this. As an architect who is getting involved with community politics... Yeah. How do you feel like your like your experience as a placemaker in architecture is preparing you to basically run and fingers crossed holding a seat as a city councilman in your community? I mean, how is how is that helping you shape, you know, your policies, your thoughts, your, you know, the direction and sure. everything else? Wow, I thought I was done with some of these interviews. <laughs> no, no, man. <laughs> no, no. Uh, okay, so I would take a step back and say that your training as an architect does a lot for you. I think a couple of things. One, it teaches us to look at problems. I think approach problems with an open mind, for one. Approach problems not as black and white, right and wrong, but more as a challenge. How do I approach something or approach a project or even approach negotiations and things that get into uh, all of the different aspects of being on a city council member? And how how do I look at things? I think we we're taught to look at things a little bit differently than probably most. We visualize things. I think it's been a a huge asset to have on a planning commission. uh, And I think it'll be an asset once to anyone on a city council level too, because I think you look at whatever the issues are and we try and figure out ways to look at them a little bit differently. You know, like the classic thing of okay, I'm going to take that trace paper and turn it over, turn it upside down. And, and I think that gives architects a different approach to solving community issues and problems. Part of our job as well is bringing together 
people with different views and opinions and working through that to realize a dream, right? Everybody's got that dream. We're going to build this project. And, you know, we, there's different motivations. Everybody's got, I mean, when we're dealing with clients, we're dealing with the budget, we're always balancing all of these different things. And I think being an architect gives a person who's running for something like this an, a good background in how do you deal with all of those things? Because that's what we do every day um, in dealing with our clients, coordinating with our consultants. Everybody has a different sort of agenda and you as the architect are the ringleader and you've got to collate all this sort of stuff and move it forward. And that's pretty much, you know, what I see a little bit as the citizen architect. I mean, the whole point of what we do, you're right, is we're problem solvers, you know, and we we have to do it in a multitude of different ways, you know, to, you know, there's a thousand different ways to solve one problem. And, you know, each one takes into consideration different aspects. So, yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, we, we are somewhat predisposed to, you know, kind of taking on that leadership role of, of problem solving. And, and that's sort of what community politics is all about is, you know, you've got so many different people who want so many different things from their, uh, community government, you know, their town government or whatever. And, you know, it, it takes people to figure out creative and, different ways of being able to do that, staying within budgets and, you know, developing, you know, and stuff like that. I think this, I think we also too, what you just said, there is, is another way to say listening skills. I think architects, we, as, as architects, we have to have great listening skills. We have to listen to our clients and understand what, what's their motivations. What are they trying to get out of a project? And listen to all the different people involved. And that, that even goes, I mean, on every project goes through an approval process of some sort. And so you've got to you know, listening to what the different jurisdictions that you're working in, uh, coordinating with fire and engineering and a building department, planning department, all of those things are what architects do all the time. And so I just see this as an extension of something I've been doing for a you know many years and then being able to hopefully have the opportunity to bring that ex- expertise to the city council level as well. So um I I think it's you know it's very exciting I would encourage anybody to that wants to be involved in their local community and I've lived here almost all my life. I grew up here, went to high school here and you know bought a house here, raising my family here, doing all those things. If you want to be involved like that, this is one way to do that. And there's many ways, of course, to be involved in your community, of course. Uh, this is the way I've chosen to use my expertise and, you know, to try and move that forward in that direction. So a point she was bringing up in her, her letter to us was these different ideas of what a citizen architect is. And again, her initial thoughts, um, especially from what we were talking about, was more of like the somebody who's working at kind of like pro bono like level, you know, doing a very poor job of trying to explain like what the mission of like say the rural studio and and, and other <laughs> things like that are. But I mean, do you see 
specifically you running for an office, do you see other aspects of, you know, not just, you know, the leadership role, but I mean, how is, you know, as a Mm -hmm. designer or, you know, things like that, or, or people who use, I mean, I guess in a way it's, it, I sort of feel like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to lead an answer that I already feel like I already know what the answer is. Then answer it. Is, is the, okay. the question is, is, you know, in do, do these different definitions, you know, her, basically her, her end, you know, is do these def- different definitions of citizen architect contradict one another? And I don't really necessarily believe they do what, you know, I, I, I believe so. that they're different in, you know, one's running for a political office and one is, you know, basically, rolling up their sleeves and, you know, doing like pro bono design work or swinging the hammer and things like that. But they're sort of the same thing because you're rolling up your sleeves well, to get involved with, with, you know, the community politics to make it better, to improve, you know, um, on a community. Well, to improve your, your community right. and, and trust me, uh, this is like pro bono work too. <laughs> right. Well, you know, but I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think that there's, a, a difference a, a, there's a difference in you know the way you go about it but i don't necessarily think that there's a difference in architects getting involved with community politics and architects getting involved with community activism and, and stuff like that because it's all with the same intent hopefully it's all within the same intent of making your community a better place in enriching Absolutely. the i mean we as designers, architects, and everything else, we try to make the built environment a better place. And on the political or activist level, that's the exact same thing of what we're trying to do. I do think that they're complementary in in this kind of, in this word picture that she's kind of painted out, right? Where we're talking about the people going for elected position versus those who are swinging the hammer, like you say, Cormac. But I think you really can't have one without the other in this scenario because I would imagine they don't go into it really in the citizen architect film, but there's so much legwork that happened before they could start building in those communities on the political level to allow mm-hmm. that to even happen. That's why I'm saying I don't think that one could happen without the other, um, even though they may not have gotten into that in the film. Well, I know, I know so much time spent by Sam ahead of time to actually get somebody to trust them enough to, to, to attempt it. And then they proved it with the work that they did and were allowed to continue. Well, we did something very mm-hmm. unique there. What we did was because we were working in a very, very impoverished area, a, a lot of like regulations and stuff were overlooked because we mm-hmm. basically came in to help people have a better place to live. Now, you know, there there are, you know, still going in and doing permitting and stuff. A lot of it's fast track. Public safety is not overlooked. Let me, you know, throw that out there first and foremost. But, you know, at the end of the day, what the rural studio is trying to do is enrich the the community. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't fully realize a lot of the, like the the permitting and, and all of that other stuff as as much as, we could, you know, kind of like what you were hinting at, but um, you you do get a small taste of it, but not not on a on a on a huge scale. Yeah, there there was a lot of groundwork that was laid by D.K. Ruth and and Sam Mockby, the the two founders of the 
rural studio who sadly both of them have passed and both of them were my professors and both were great people and had absolutely nothing but um, great ideas for what the rural studio has now become. But I mean, they did a lot of legwork and and you're right. And I I don't even know half of the legwork that they did. And now I've rambled on way too long. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think what it, what it all comes down to, and you guys summed it up already is that it is all about service, right? And so when, when you think about ways that you can serve and the ways that you can say yes to your community or, or to different groups in your community, I, I, I don't know that there's really a scale that, applies that that or that really matters that that should be distinguished that you can be a citizen architect at so many different levels you can affect your neighbor you can affect your neighborhood you can affect your city right you can affect your state you know there's so many so many ways that you could serve as a citizen architect i don't know that that the scale really matters and i don't know that the aia's definition versus citizen architect the movie's definition really should matter. I think what matters is what you do with it. And so, right. And so I think you define it. Yeah. Right. You define what that term is to you. And I think Evan, you just outlined all the different ways that you could do that local neighborhood, your neighbor, city, state, and on forward. So, and I think what's neat about it is that it, it provides you with additional opportunities every time you do it. Right. If you, if you, I know our firm participates in so many types of events like this, you know, school cleanups, chalk walks, um, shoes for kids, cards for kids. There's so right. many things that, that are, and they're not even necessarily architecture, but it's, it's the act mm-hmm. of architects getting together and doing this to support our community. I, I, you know, there, I think that each firm kind of defines that for themselves as well. How, how do they want to give back to their community? I know that's part of our mission statement, you know, is, is to serve our community that we've always been in Ontario, at least our, our main office has been always for 78 years. So we are always looking for opportunities to serve in, in the Southern California region, but mostly, you know, centered out of Ontario for that office and all of our other offices do it in their regions as well. So I think that your guys' firms are probably, doing similar things. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we get yeah. involved. We do, you know, we work with a lot of local charities. We, we get involved with a lot of local Baltimore city schools and things like that. And even our other offices get, you know, involved with their local things. So yeah, we, um, yeah, I mean, because. Or it, ACE mentoring. It, I mean, there's, oh, there's yeah. things like that too, right? Oh Where yeah, I do that. Directly <laughs> trying to affect the next generations of. I forgot I do that. Professions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took Evan to remind you. You do that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so, I mean, ultimately, you know, the the term citizen architect is somebody who's, you know, getting involved with the service to their community, right? That's the goal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I I agree with you guys. I I don't think they're, 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 to kind of get to Katie's question, are they different? I think they're different, but I, they definitely do not contradict, but I think they complement each other. Yeah. Yep. Well, all right. Do we, I think that was it for this one. I, 
I think that's the end of the grab bag for episode 150. Thanks for playing along with Ask Arcaspeak. (laughs) (laughs) Long-winded, nonsensical answers to your questions. Keep asking. Isn't that really sort of the definition of Arcaspeak? (laughs) (laughs) Talk and talk and talk until people are just like, all right, fine, enough. Yeah, got it. Enough. Cue the music, right? Yep. All right, well, let's get to the music and remind everybody that this episode is brought to you by RCAT, Hager Companies, and Construct. The music is by System Kid. You can subscribe to Arcaspeak on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, or listen directly from our site at arcaspeakpodcast.com. You can follow us on social media. That's the Twitters and Facebooks and Instagrams. And links for all of those can be found at our main site. Again, that's arcaspeakpodcast.com. And just remind everyone to stay subscribed. And thanks for listening to us babble on for 150 episodes now. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. And vote Neil Pan early and often. (laughs) Vote early. For city council. Vote often. Bye.
has been.